0: As we open up the Word of God, let's start by praying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to hear you speak. We want to thank you for the evening with Jesus that we read in these chapters in John. So we ask today that as we look at John 16, you would open up our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your Word. Help us to see Jesus more clearly so that we would live for your glory. Amen. Barack Obama was President of the United States between 2009 and 2017 and he used a phrase uh, repeatedly uh, in his presidency. He used a, this particular phrase in regard to healthcare reforms, uh, in foreign policy, in the two-state solution in the Middle East, uh, in regard to the Arab Spring and decisions that his colleagues had made as well. He used the phrase, we're on the right side of history, I wonder if you've heard that phrase before. For Christians, for most of the last several hundred years, Christians have been on the right side of history. The dominant worldview has been a Christian worldview. But just in the last five or ten years, the world has moved on from this predominantly Christian view of the world. And now Christians are repeatedly told they're on the wrong side of history in regard to same-sex marriage or euthanasia or assisted dying. Christians are told they're on the wrong side of history. So do you feel like you are on the wrong side of history? It can feel really uncomfortable to be the odd one out. If the world is headed away from Christian values and becoming actively opposed to the teaching of Jesus, for people who are Christians, for people who are following Jesus, it will feel more and more like they are on the wrong side of history. John 16, uh, Jesus has some words for us on this y- issue. Jesus gives us some comfort and some encouragement in a world that is going to be actively opposed to Christian people, to hate Christian people, and to even kill some Christians. So let's have a look at this encouragement that Jesus gives in a world that's opposed to Christians. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Very truly I tell you it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now it's not like Jesus and the Holy Spirit can't be seen at the same place or time. It's not like the President and the Vice President of the US, who hardly ever appear at the same time and place just in case they are both assassinated. And they don't fly in the same plane just in case that plane crashes. It's not the case with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And it's not like Superman and Clark Kent, who are really the same person in different clothing, so you would never see the two of them at the one time. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are separate and distinct persons of the one God. No, Jesus needs to finish his work before the Holy Spirit can start his work the Spirit can't come until Jesus has died, risen to life, and returned to God the Father in glory, then the gift of the Holy Spirit can be given, and the Holy Spirit can start his work. Because the work of the Spirit is to point people to Jesus, to glorify Jesus. And so then, Jesus needs to have completed all of his work in order for the Holy Spirit to be able to point people to that work. When you're building a house, the very last thing that happens is carpet laying. Everything else is done and there's no mess, then the carpet can be laid. And when Jesus has done his work, then the Holy Spirit can come and do his work. Now, it's worth looking at the position description that the Holy Spirit has. Our overseers recently have been looking at position descriptions. They describe what someone's role is. It's important for someone to know their own role, but it's important that the people around them know their role as well so that they're not expecting something different from that person. Jesus gives us the role description for the Holy Spirit, and we should know it so that we don't expect the Holy Spirit to do something he's not tasked to do. So what task is it that Jesus and the Father give the Holy Spirit? Have a look with me at verse 13. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So here's the Spirit's position description that Jesus gives us. The Spirit is going to guide the disciples into all the truth. What truth? Well, it's actually the truth concerning Jesus. He is the truth, He's the person of the truth. If you look back at chapter 14, in verse 6, Jesus has said, He's the way, the truth, and the life. So the position description for Jesus is not that He's going to let you know the truth about your upcoming exam. You're going to have to work that out for yourself. No, it's the truth concerning Jesus that the Holy Spirit will guide the disciples into. And Jesus needs to finish his work that he's been sent to do before the Spirit can guide people into that truth concerning his work. Because that is the role of the Holy Spirit. So know the role, know the position description of the Holy Spirit, and don't tie yourself up in knots expecting the Spirit to do something that he's never going to do, like speak on his own or draw attention to himself rather than point people to Jesus. When the Spirit is at work, then there will be much made of Jesus. When the Spirit is working in people's hearts and minds, he will be pointing people to Jesus And turning a spotlight on Jesus. If you ever go to the theatre or to a show, when you see that show, the spotlight operator turns the lights on the stars of the show. When that spotlight operator does their job, we see the heroes of the story more clearly. But we don't see much of them. We don't make much of them, that spotlight operator. We make much of the stars of the show. That's the role of the Holy Spirit to turn the spotlight on the person and work of Jesus. So if we are a church at OEC that is led by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, then we'll be a church of people who put the spotlight on Jesus. We will make much of the person and work of Jesus. Now let's move on. Let's look at verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, you might actually have in your translation the word convict instead of prove the world to be in the wrong because most translations have that word in it historically. Uh, Let's just talk about that for a moment. There are two meanings for the word convict. Plenty of words in our English language have multiple meanings. Uh, If you think of the word sick or mad, my kids use those words in very different ways to the way I would use them. Uh, convict has two meanings, to, and the, the two meanings are this, to prove or declare guilty of an offence or to impress with a sense of guilt. So which one is it? Well, the Holy Spirit definitely convicts someone of their guilt. In fact, if that doesn't happen, a person won't become a Christian. It's not possible. Jesus said as much back in John chapter 3 Uh, Unless someone was born of the Holy Spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there needs to be a work of the Spirit in the heart of a person to convict them of their sin and turn them to Jesus in trust. And it's true that the Holy Spirit does that um, uh, to convict people of sin and righteousness and judgment. But actually, in this part of Scripture, in John 16, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. So first, let's get a bit of a background view. Jesus has said uh, that you'll be kicked at, uh, that Christians will be kicked out of synagogues, that they'll be hated by the world, that some of them will even be killed. So the world will essentially stand in judgment over Christians and condemn Christians for their views and even for what they do. We're actually going to see an example of that coming up in John as Jesus himself is convicted he will stand trial he'll be condemned to death and Jesus says something similar is going to happen to Christians the world will stand in judgment over you may not be a death sentence but people will convict or condemn Christians in regard to their views on sin and righteousness and judgment and the world does that now there are A huge, There is a huge pushback against the Christian beliefs. The world tries to say that sin is the fun stuff that we know is naughty Uh, rather than a biblical view of sin. It says it's it's a bit like the ice cream that we really enjoy and know we ought not to have too much of. When I was on holidays recently at the beach, there was an ice cream shop at, at the place that we were called Wicked Ice Creams. The world makes fun of sin and it mocks God's coming judgment and it wants to declare everyone as righteous or everyone everyone as right. And Jesus is saying in these verses that the Holy Spirit will come to declare the world guilty. He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That is, the world may put on trial Christians because they find Christians to be evil, but the Holy Spirit will come and will stand in judgment and condemn the world. The tables will be turned. The Holy Spirit will declare that the world is wrong on sin and righteousness and judgment. And the Holy Spirit will declare that Jesus is on the right side of history and the world is on the wrong side of history. So remember, the end result of all of this is a word of comfort for Christians. The evening with Jesus ends with Jesus bringing comfort to Christians. Have a look with me at verse 33. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is on the right side of history. He wins in the end. And the world is on the wrong side of history. So take heart. We ought to take comfort from that. He has overcome the world. And so we ought to be people who take comfort from that. Now, the next verses we'll look at help us to have confidence in our Bibles. You might ask, how does that work? Well, just hold that thought for a moment and we'll go through this. I want you to remember for a start that Jesus is talking to his disciples who are going to be the authors of our New Testament. The followers of Jesus will be the apostles and the authors of our New Testament. So with that background, let's have a look at this. Verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So why does this give us confidence about our Bibles? Well, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will guide the authors of the New Testament into all the truth concerning who Jesus is and what he's done. It's not all the truth concerning your upcoming exam, Although that would be nice, that's not what Jesus is talking about. It's all the truth concerning Jesus and his work and the significance of that. Now, remember these guys are the people who are going to author much of our New Testament. In fact, um, Peter, John, Matthew and all the other authors of the New Testament are, are relying on the testimony of the apostles And Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit opens up the truth of everything he's done to these authors of our scriptures. So essentially it is written by men who are guided by the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter says this about our Bibles. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See what Peter says? Humans write the Bible, but God is the ultimate author, the ultimate writer by his Holy Spirit. That's what Peter is saying in those verses. But actually, Peter is just telling us what Jesus has already told us in John 16. The Spirit will guide you into all the truth. So without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have any confidence in our New Testament. But also without the Holy Spirit, we really wouldn't have a clue about who Jesus is and what he's done. Let me show you why, and the disciples are a great example for us in this. In these chapters of John, as we've spent an evening with Jesus, the disciples are hearing about what Jesus is going to do, where he's going, about the work of the Holy Spirit when he comes, what he's going to do. Remember, Jesus has spent years with these guys. They've been hearing him teach, seen him raise the dead, heal the sick, and we see them respond to all of this in chapter 16. And let me just summarise their response to Jesus in one word. They're clueless. Why? They don't know where Jesus is going. They don't know the right questions to ask him. They don't know what he's doing and they don't know what to believe. Despite all of their history with him, they cannot put the pieces together of this puzzle and understand who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So let's have a look at it now. Verse 5 and 6. Jesus says, now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. You see, the disciples are grieving when what's about to happen to Jesus is for their good, and they are not asking the right questions. Jesus says there's more to tell them, but they can't understand it. Have a look with me at verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. That is, if Jesus was to keep explaining, keep understanding, that the disciples wouldn't be able to bear it. They wouldn't understand it. And there's an example in verse 17 and 18. They mutter to themselves, what is this he's talking about? A little while and you won't see me? And a little while fur- uh, further and you will see me? What is this? The disciples haven't got a clue what's going on with Jesus And then when they actually say in verse 29 and 30, we think we do understand. We now see that you're speaking clearly and we believe that you've come from God. Jesus responds in verse 31 and 32 with some rich irony. Do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. So even though they say they now believe that he's come from God, that belief won't be strong enough for them to stay with Jesus even for the next 24 hours. When the pressure comes comes on, they won't be strong enough to stand by Jesus in his trial, continuing to believe in him and stay with him. No, they will disappear. They will spread to the four winds when Jesus is on trial. In summary, after years of living with Jesus and seeing him teach and preach and heal the sick, the disciples are clueless because they need the Holy Spirit to guide them into all the truth concerning Jesus. And if I was there, that would be me too. And if you were there, that would be you too. We simply can't put the pieces of the puzzle together without the work of the Holy Spirit. We need a miraculous change in our hearts and our thinking that only comes through the work of the Spirit. Recently I had a Rego check done on one of our little cars and at Rego they said, unless you get two new tyres, it won't pass Rego. So off we went and got the two new tyres. Without those two new tyres, it would never have passed the Rego check. And that's us with the Spirit. Without the Spirit working in us, we will never understand who Jesus is and what he's done. We'll never be able to put our trust in him unless the Spirit is working in us, enabling us to see the truth about Jesus so that we can put our trust in him. We can know what he's done and what it means for us. So praise God for the wonderful gift of the Spirit. And as we think about this, that ought to make us very humble people. Because we are, just like the disciples, clueless about Jesus without the gift of the Spirit, but with the Spirit enabled to understand. So it's not because of our smarts or our wisdom that we somehow put our faith in Jesus. It's because of this miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. If that's the case, we ought always to look at the world around us, a world full of unbelieving people, and say, there but for the grace of God go I. Praise God for his mercy and grace in opening my eyes and my heart to the truth of the scriptures by the work of his Holy Spirit so that I would know Jesus, the one who saved me from my sin, the only one who is truly righteous and can stand before God on my behalf, and the only one who helps me through the coming judgment of God. Friends, stick with Jesus He is the one who is on the right side of history. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We praise you that you enable us to see Jesus clearly, to know him as the one person who is on the right side of history, the one person who is able to save us from sin and present us before you as righteous in the coming judgment.